1: Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the Deputy Editor and Chief Critic, joined as always by Ann Thompson, our Editor-at-Large. And Ann, we are in the middle of those summer doldrums where you're kind of waiting for the news cycle to kick in with a mixture of dread and excitement. But there's still some stuff happening in movie land worth talking about, starting with a movie that, because the embargo lifted, we can finally get into. I know you saw it a while ago, I saw it a couple days ago, and that's... Sicario, Day of Soldado. Now, I have mixed feelings about this movie. I was impressed with some of it. Uh, I wouldn't put it quite on the level of the last one. I enjoyed it as kind of a B movie, but I think you were really high on it, right?
0: Yeah. I have to say, um, let me put this in the right context, though, which is that I didn't love Sicario the first one so I when I saw the first Sicario I had issues with it and it's because I was identifying as many people in the audience did we were starting off that movie following the Emily Blunt character and while I thought she did a great job with it as written by Taylor Sheridan uh, and this was when he was contemplating a, a, a frontier trilogy uh sort of a Western trilogy um, he, she was really uh, an, an ineffectual character, a rookie who didn't know what she was doing, and um, I had a lot of issues with her. Um, and and then the movie completely veers to the side and goes with the two guys. Yes, and they several, leave her in fear. Even though basically. you could argue that um, maybe I shouldn't like this movie because it's just about the two guys and she has been completely excised because apparently Taylor Sheridan didn't know how to write a good character for her. Um, I, I thought this was cleaner and more uh, developed and actually deepened the characters in an interesting and compelling way. And I thought that Stefano Salima did a really good job with the uh, directing. Even though um, he and, and Darius Walski are replacing the great Denis Villeneuve and the great uh, Roger Deakins, I thought they created a really compelling um, and a much more sort of straightforward and streamlined. Uh, universe, but also, I thought Benicio did a great job.
1: I mean, I would agree I think it's it's a kind of lean, mean action vehicle for Benicio del Toro and crystallizes its appeal during the second half when it becomes more like that and it is it is streamlined, like you say, in a way that I think takes cues from Villeneuve, who's this excellent you know uh, craftsman in a way. I had issues with the movie in terms of representation in addition to the to the women's side of it also just You know, I have I have this half my family is from Colombia, and I have a trigger related to anything that's sort of like south of the border drug crimes. Not from the perspective of anybody who's Latin American, really. Uh, Well, there's
0: the girl. Well, so in this
1: movie, we do have a we do have one kind of innocent. Character, and you you could make that argument. I do think it has some representation issues, but that's less. I mean, the thing that I think is interesting is if you look at it as a B movie that is sort of extrapolating our anxieties res- surrounding the immigration crisis and putting them into this kind of really intense genre picture about trying to incite uh, a drug war between two cartels so that they basically kill each other off. Then it ki- it is very deeply involving, and Benicio del Toro is so badass, and the chemistry between him and Josh Brolin as these kind of you know b- they're both kind of these rogue characters who operate a little bit outside the law. I think is is interesting because it does seem to epitomize the world that we're living in right now. There's some ludicrous. It's pretty stuff.
0: timely. I would suggest to you that 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 well, Taylor Sheridan, for all of his. And I, I think he writes women really badly. Okay. let's Well, just put yeah, that Catherine right Keener is
1: like barking in one or two scenes. And that's basically I know. it. No, it's
0: like the classic, or oh, I'll make a woman boss who's a badass, you know? Uh, but, but she, um, I mean, she's, she's fine. It's not, it's not her fault. Actually, I think the ways that Brolin and, and, uh, del Toro, you, you know, go against each other instead of being in league with one another there's some surprising things there that i found you know compelling and i loved this one scene between um, <laughs> i loved this one scene between del toro and the, the this man who was a deaf mute And he starts to sign and it's like the beginning of the opening up of, of looking at him as more of a human being and seeing that there's depths to him that we did not appreciate Yeah, but I mean,
1: here's the thing. So I'm not going to spoil stuff, but there's that part. There's another part that happens to do with, that happens to involve a certain coincidence that, that and then there's another thing that happens that's, that makes the movie seem like it's going in one direction and then it, it doesn't actually go in the really dramatic twist of a direction you think it's going to go in. And th- those things, I, I accept in the context of a movie where anything goes. But what I thought was was kind of problematic on some level was that the movie's trying to have it both ways. It's this very grim, almost like very, a very serious kind of deep dive into the drug crisis. But it's also kind of this entertaining, pulpy thing where ludicrous things can happen... For the you know to push the story forward, and so I don't think it's quite on the level of I, I, Sicario. For all its faults, I didn't think you know was still so willing to jump the shark in that respect. But um, but I still had a great time with it, and, and taking the aesthetic that Villeneuve used and kind of copy and pasting it in here, it's kind of fascinating to watch, you know, all those... I don't the, think he does, though. Oh, come on, the aerial been, shots of the helicopters no, no, he and the prom from the music. He's
0: putting you in the same universe. He's yeah. using the same toys. But he he's much more overtly violent and less suggestive. And he's also, um, you know, uh, I, think, I think that he brings... Uh, he doesn't do as many... Um, uh, I think I think Villeneuve cuts more than this guy does.
1: Yeah, I mean, I suppose there are some subtle differences, but I, I and I, I just felt like there was a sense of okay, what would a sequel to this movie kind of look like as an as an organic extension. And it does it feel is like it, it's taking yeah. the
0: idea of a world, and by the way, this guy comes from television. he's Italian. he worked on the Italian Gamora TV series he's he's basically accustomed to the world of television where extending universes is is, is what series do and and I find it sort of interesting that. That there's this kind of, uh, you know, we've all talked about this before, that, that sequels are and franchises and, uh, you know, Marvel universes are ways to get away from having to do one movie once and sell it and then, you know, uh, you're, you're done. It's, it's, it's actually, now we have four hours with the people from Sicario and, you know, assuming this movie does well, which I suspect it will, you could have someone else do the third one.
1: Yeah, I suppose it is perhaps a good opportunity if you're going to experiment with franchise filmmaking as a director to have some options beyond you know kind of a more crass blockbuster direction. You know, if you see like that tendency of the Sundance breakout to get picked up by a studio, well, maybe they get picked up for a Sicario movie. You know, yeah, I could could get on board with that. And I and I also think that it is kind of neat to watch this and sort of think about you know the, the contrast between. TV and film like as as a mini series I don't know how much of this I would be willing to take but you can take a breather in between the last one and this one and then this one and the 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 hypothetical next one and it's it's kind of interesting to come back to these characters and see how you know our world is continuing to struggle with the immigration crisis no it turned
0: out to be very mm, yeah. very timely and, and it could well, be more timely and it will
1: always I mean the, the the topic will always be timely but the question is what will the timeliness of it be I mean imagine the movie opened this week when all this stuff happened with, with the I know executive I know order this is what I'm
0: saying yeah. and then the other I mean it is about a a, a a kid who's kidnapped you know and taken away from her father and yeah. a whole border war ensues and it is about the kind of heartlessness if you like of our government it doesn't uh, name Trump time. though
1: I, w- I think that is I- I- an issue if you consider that that um it's almost like the it, it, you can't tell if it's supposed to be our world or some f- sort of embellished version of it, because... I
0: think you know, it's pretty realistic. But they, I don't, think, they, I think, don't, they but, don't name
1: Trump, and they don't... No, don't no, know, no, no, so. no.
0: It's not like that, but it is the CIA. I mean, it is it is, it is clearly the CIA. Um, basically, and, and, you know, there's obviously real reporting and research that, that Taylor Sheridan uh, put into it. It's sort of interesting, too, because he wrote Hell or High Water... And then, for, and he wrote Sicario, and he wrote um, Wind River, and those are the trilogy that he initially talked about doing. And now there's a this is like the fourth movie in that series, and now he's got this Yellowstone uh, series coming up with with. Kevin Costner, which has gotten uh, a range of reviews, which makes me actually curious to look at it. He's certainly it's like well, among, the,
1: among the, the kind of writer-director types dealing with American society and, and sort of the, the various kind of archetypes that... that Keep us kind tethered to the past. He's he's a very interesting voice to look at. Well, he's right focused
0: now. on you know Texas and New Mexico yeah, and the that south, kind of all that
1: stuff. Southwest uh,
0: Pien, you know the, mm-hmm. the area that that was part of the West and still is. Exactly. You know?
1: So Sony's putting that up uh, in a little bit, and they they I'm sure are pretty confident about how it's going to do. Their brethren at Sony Pictures Classics have also had an interesting week on a totally different scale because they have this movie. Boundaries coming out, which I saw at South by Southwest. It's a pretty likable road trip comedy with Christopher Plummer. It's this old stoner, basically, traveling around with his daughter, played by Vera Farmiga. Um, And for, like, a couple minutes towards the end of the movie, Peter Fonda shows up in a kind of glorified cameo, and he's kind of funny. He decides to tweet some stuff that was deemed really offensive towards he went Lord over a, a line
0: that he shouldn't have just in terms of really because he gave he gave the other side such such fodder and this always happened already, we're already in such terrible uh you know there's there's no communicating back and forth and he just he he, he, he literally put <laughs> Donald Trump's son. Into a border cage. Yeah, Um, it's a it's
1: a pretty crazy, vivid image. Pedophile. And and, and, I mean, what's what's so weird about it is it's like for a while you assume like oh you know start you know somebody on that level isn't tweeting you know his assistants tweeting but he definitely just like threw that out himself and 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 the thing is
0: outraged as we all are by the way and 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 the
1: thing is it's like I don't even know did the guy. He probably knew the movie was coming out, but would he be thinking a movie that's opening in five screens and limited release that he did for, you know, half a day on could somehow be related to his incendiary tweets? But in any case, Donald Trump Jr. decides to go on a crusade against Sony Pictures Classics about releasing this movie he has no idea has two seconds of Peter Fonda and I'm sure doesn't care. So all the alt-right loonies are all over Sony Pictures Classics. Well, they they're pulled, comparing
0: it to Roseanne, you know, uh, yeah. is 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 the uh, is Sony Pictures Classics going to, you know, pull the movie the way a Fox had yeah. to pull, you know... Which is just, like, ludicrous. Was, I mean, right. it's
1: just, like, ludicrous to even conceive of that, but so, it, they, they didn't. <laughs> no,
0: and Sony Pictures Classics said... Fonda went over the line. Sony Pictures Classics said... It isn't important enough for us to not release this movie, and the rest of the movie shouldn't be held hostage to his importune tweets. So that's where we left it.
1: Yeah, it's just kind of fascinating, though, because what it tells you is, it reflects something I've been hearing more and more, which is that people who are famous in any regard are, for the most part, terrified to say anything about anything now. Because you could say something political or say something about gender or race and it doesn't matter if it was like you flubbed it or whatever the context was, if you're promoting a project or, or you know looking for work or whatever it is, you could create immediate repercussions that get picked up by a news cycle that's so sensitive to this stuff. Well,
0: you should know what the rules are, and one of the rules is, you know, do not go personal, you know? I mean, where he went really wrong was taking a kid of a president and putting him in a border cage. This was really not acceptable. And 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 the other, but what someone like Judd Apatow or uh, Paul Feige and others are doing in the or Michael Moore or any number of people we could name in the political realm is really great. I mean, they're being fearless. I think what Apatow is doing on Twitter, you know, raging, just going on day after day after day about how we should all be boycotting. All of Fox, not just Fox News, but the entire oh, Fox yeah. apparatus and Seth that McFarlane, supports. Oh who, yeah,
1: uh who's right. being paid by Fox millions and millions of Although dollars. Although his for, deal
0: is coming up soon, never, that was made. I mean, that's fair,
1: but I think he gave two million dollars to NPR. So, so I thought that was a pretty sharp. That sharp was very move. cool. But too. I'm thinking about it, even in a broader sense. It's like I think it, you know it, it, anybody who cares about culture should be. Try, putting an effort into supporting people who are speaking truth to power, even if they're not doing it particularly well. I mean, I, I, like Kathy Griffin, right? She did this like thing holding like a fake uh, Trump head or whatever like a million years ago, a year ago. I don't know what it was. She was so terribly lambasted. I'm not even a, a, a big fan of hers but it wasn't like
0: seemed like an enormous response to something especially in the context of what goes on now yeah
1: i mean just for if you you care about like representation satire like can people be edgy can you can you experiment can can you provoke a strong reaction without being deemed crossing a line you know in the name of whatever the your your chosen vocation is like I've subscribed to her email list. Am I going to go see her show when she comes to New York? Not really. I'm not a huge fan, but I, I feel this like impulse to be like, well, no, I I don't think you should be, you know, sort of exiled because you're doing what you should be able to do in this country. So it's it is a really
0: there's each case is individual yeah. and and you know I mean the, I I was talking about this with Michael Schneider on our Emmy. Um, podcast, the Screen Talk uh, Emmy edition that goes on during this time of year. And you know there the, the me too thing is affecting i mean it, it there's collateral damage that occurs i mean where the entire cast of Roseanne isn't being considered for for emmys anymore or the entire uh series uh the deuce because of james franco and maggie gillenhall gives an amazing performance in that series and yet she somehow isn't being considered um there you know as a uh, arrested development um all sorts of um
1: Dear White People, I think. Transparent,
0: you know, uh, with, with uh, you know, Jeffrey Tambor. Uh, yeah. It, it, what, what's with Dear White People?
1: Well, it's just, it's a similar kind of, I mean, the alt-right went crazy after this movie, or after this show, before it even, like, got out there. And still, does. The, they take umbrage at, uh, the the title and all that kind of stuff, and it's like, it's a great show. But I, I do feel like it's it's not getting the love it deserves, and I hope that's not part of the reason why. But
0: so you 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 did a story about Kimberly Pierce. Tell me tell me why you're so high on her episode that she shot.
1: Well, um, if you if you've watched the show, uh, one of the things that's really striking about it is that it it it's very visually appealing, and it has a incredible style that modulates depending on who it's focusing on because it's a big ensemble piece set in a private university like like the movie. And in the second season, it really gains confidence in terms of what it's doing tonally. The fourth episode of season two uh, is focused exclusively on this character, Coco, uh, played by Antoinette Robinson, who's kind of thought to be sort of the, uh, almost like an anti-hero for a while in the sense that instead of kind of speaking out against the white establishment. She is more sort of trying to be a, a social climber to get things done. And this one is more of a personal episode because she accidentally gets pregnant. And, and the question the whole episode is, will she or won't she get an abortion? Now, it's it's still comedy, and it's got the the satiric tone to it in parts, but it's also it's a very intimate piece about this woman who was actually raised by her mother, who gave up everything to have her at a very young age, and is wrestling with that. So, I was watching it and I was like really impressed the whole way through with how well it was moving along, what it was doing visually. There's some fantasy sequences I won't spoil. And so, when the episode ended, the first thing that came up was directed by Kimberly Pierce. So, she's been doing some stuff in TV. She did an episode of I Love Dick with Jill Soloway that went to Sundance. But it was just neat to see after, you know, this is somebody who. Following Boys we Don't like Cry, her a lot. yeah. After Boys Don't Cry, she's made some interesting movies. But ha- you know, it's a, one of those people you're, you're kind of hoping to, you want to succeed. You to want to see her connect. She yeah, really exactly. directed this episode well. And, and talking to her, I, I may, it kind of crystallized that. If you've watched the show, you can check out the piece that talks about some of the stu- some of the ideas that she came up with to do there. I think I think it's a really interesting time to, for filmmakers to kind of experiment in TV if you're paired with the right show and that that was no, a really I cool did it. yeah no i thing i too. i
0: love i like her work and she's got a great uh, romantic comedy coming up which i'm looking forward to uh, i think it's at universal right
1: yeah and then this amazon project with Michelle Williams it's about an underground abortion um Uh, Clinic in the 60s sounds quite fascinating as well. That sounds good too. Getting back to work. She's got
0: stuff going on. Um, Well, when I did did an interview with with, uh, Lynn Shelton, who's another uh, woman filmmaker out of Seattle, who I just think is terrific. And she has been doing lots and lots and lots of different television shows. And she said it really helped her become a better director. So, experience is a good teacher. Yeah,
1: you got to move fast, is the thing. And and that's something that I think, on some levels, is very much like an indie film in a way, but once you get to these bigger levels, you have, you know, more weeks of prep time and stuff, and you still have, you can get a little too carried away and go over budget and stuff, and TV forces you to move along and be creative in that context, so... So, and also um, to
0: work with a lot of other people on a universe that, that's been created by exactly. other people. Yeah, you
1: don't have and, to. Do and all also, that.
0: you know, learn how to work with the actors in a very efficient kind of way without, you know, you have to you have to build, you know, a team very quickly. Yeah. But but the other the other Me Too thing that we were going to talk about is Kobe Bryant.
1: Yes. So Kobe Bryant, Oscar Oscar winning producer Kobe Bryant did not successfully get into the Film Academy now. We have friends who have gotten into the academy after years of trying. You don't always get in the first time, but we don't know why he was denied. And there's well, basically
0: reasons. the uh, branch that he would have been put up for as an Oscar winner. It happens a lot that you get invited after you've won the Oscar. But in his case, there are a couple things going on. One, he isn't really a filmmaker, and he's certainly not an animator. And um, Well, he took a lot of creative credit for the movie he made with Glenn Clean, The Short Deer Basketball, which won the Oscar. Um, and I had a clue that that might happen when everybody at the Academy lunch, the nominations lunch, was like cheering for their local yeah, that's maker why they hero. Won. That's why they won. Exactly. It's not really that good a movie. Um, but the branch did invite him. But the Board of Governors had to approve that. And when they met recently, uh, they decided that they did not want to invite him. So but he's course, basically just not being invited.
1: But we don't that. know. I mean, th- there have been some weird, abrupt decisions that have been made by the Academy. Like, the, when, on the exact same day, they expelled both Bill Cosby and, and Roman Polanski. And, of course... Uh, He's Having been,
0: already expelled Harvey Weinstein. Yeah, he,
1: so this is a guy who has been accused of sexual assault, not convicted. Back in 2003,
0: but, a 19-year-old, and uh, the woman refused to testify, so he settled and then there was a, a civil... So that didn't proceed. And then there was a civil case that he so settled. So it's
1: certainly possible that this would have, would have been... That, I'm sure that. that they took that into consideration. Yeah. They're
0: very sensitive about that right now.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a tricky thing because, it, I mean, the, we... we you can't go back and relitigate every aspect of somebody's past, but it certainly wouldn't help matters and, and wouldn't help the academy because No, like, I
0: think they ducked. I yeah. think they ducked. Honestly, a I was gonna say thing. if
1: we're gonna get some people into the Academy from the NBA, you gotta get LeBron James in there, man. <laughs> He's he's produced way more stuff than Kobe Bryant. He has like a whole production company. He had an animated series called The Lebrons, you know, and he was great in Train Trainwreck. You could get I into I have no problem range. with this,
0: none whatsoever. Just FYI. Um, and by the way, the Academy Board of Governors is now twenty-two women strong out of fifty-four. And that's because uh, Jennifer Todd, who's one of the co-producers of the Oscar show with Michael DeLuca, she beat DeLuca for, in this, you know, to become a finalist for the uh, producers branch, and then there was a tie with Jason Bloom, the horror meister. So there was a runoff between her and Jason Bloom, which
1: she won. When I hear this kind of a thing, I'm thinking back to like high school president campaigns and stuff, where everyone gave their little speeches and stuff about what they were going to do. Like, how does how does a runoff in the situation between Jennifer Todd and Jason Bloom like? Do, do they give speeches? Do they do, do they campaign? Do you just kind of?
0: No, figure... I I don't think so. No, I I don't think that they just do it again. You know, I mean, in, in other words, it's between two people instead of a group of of people. I think they had four finalists who were who are in in the running. So uh, that's that's the uh, that's and the they and it, they're just um, sort of
1: like, yeah, Jason's pretty good at what he does, but Jennifer Todd is better. I mean, it's a popularity contest
0: it's a popularity yeah. contest. Well,
1: what else is new in Hollywood, I guess. But that's good for the gender parity element. They're they're inching closer, I suppose. I mean, 22 out of what did you say it was 53, 54. Not too shabby. So, it's better, absolutely
0: yeah. improving all the time. I mean, in not too recent memory, it was not very many at all.
1: Yeah, I mean, with the DGA <laughs> reporting that there's st- they still have major issues with you know the the kind of sparsity of of, of women directors in their in their ranks work, working right now. You know the academies. It's there's a lot of onus on the academy to continue to to kind of change these optics. So you know, so far I suppose so good, but it does seem like a lot of it's going to come down to you know what, how might this affect nominations and the like? Is you know sort of in the in the months to come. But, uh, well, I don't
0: think the makeup of, of, the, of the governors is really going to have much of an impact on, on that. But all right. So what happens on Monday is that we get the invitations, uh, the list of who's being invited this year. And they're going to continue to do the same thing, which is to push for more diversity, more uh, a, a wider
1: representation. And who will the randoms be? Who I, What I've entertain, been entertained by in the last few years is we get that list and then I'll ping some filmmaker I know who I'm I'm sort of surprised to see on there and they haven't heard about it yet you know, like you know, there's going to be somebody on there who's like, why would I get invited to the academy? And it, it probably is a diversity thing or something. But Oh,
0: totally. You know. Well, what they did was they changed the way they do it completely. There used to just be people asking to be members and getting recommendations from other people. And then it would go up before each of the branches. And, and then it would eventually get to the Board of Governors. Well, you know, that's why it took so long. That's why it was so difficult. You had to have a number of credits. You had to have people recommending you. It was It was hard. To get into the academy, even for white people, even for white men. Um, so now uh, they're going out and looking for people, and people, you know, people are actively, you know, sort of pounding the pavement and, and looking in the bushes, just you know, to find everybody that they can that should be who maybe hasn't thought of it or hasn't really put in for it or didn't think they were eligible. So it's a totally different ballgame now.
1: All right, really quickly. You finally saw Incredibles 2 as it's heading into its second weekend, has, has, having broken some records and stuff. My two cents on this movie, pretty good. Not quite on the level of Incredibles 1, per se, but it, but it does still capture a lot of what is endearing about that movie. Kind of similar to Sicario 2. It's like carrying that mantle, though it's still Brad Bird, obviously. And I think it, it takes the family in some really interesting directions, and the action really delivers better than any Marvel movie I've seen lately, that's for sure.
0: I think you're, you know, you should, you should, you should say it's as good as you're saying it is. In other words, what they've, what they've got is they've got the new um, modern uh, Pixar toolkit to play with, and they can uh, do anything now. They can do so many more things than they did before. So their trick was to make it look as good and look like it's part of the same universe, and and expand it and make it even um, more uh, exciting and fun. And I think they did that. The little kid, uh, the baby, the superpowers oh, yeah. of the Jack. baby, Jack Jack, like seventeen powers. different skills. Yeah. Well,
1: the thing about Jack Jack is that he's almost like an a movie of his own. He has this wordless fight with a raccoon that could have been a Pixar. That's short. brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. Speaking of shorts, we should also talk about Bao, which is a short film that plays beforehand. This it's thing,
0: wonderful. Is, it's one of their
1: one of their best. I mean, it, what's so a cool, woman, director,
0: but, woman director? By the way, and it's
1: dealing with the kind of the the something that's very familiar in a lot of Asian households: the, the the family challenge of the threat of assimilation in totally wordless terms as well. I mean it's Very like moving, also, and about. surprising.
0: There's a weird twist in the middle of it that's really almost shocking. You can hear the audience sort of go, oh, you know, when that happens.
1: Yeah, and as, as Pixar finally puts, you know, there's a, 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 some element of a woman in charge, as we found out this week. It does seem right that they also have, you know, a short out that's, you know, female-focused and, and culturally... You know, progressive as well as you know the Incredibles movie itself is sort of trying well, it's to shift. Well, definitely the, focus. the
0: Holly Hunter, Elastigirl character takes takes charge. Exactly. In another movie that has uh, Catherine Keener yeah. <laughs> playing a bad person. Uh, she's um, good at
1: that. You know, she's she's, oh, into she's good it. at
0: it. She's she's ominous indeed. And and then the and Bob Odenkirk is is doing the other voice, which is really fun. I mean, there's a lot of new stuff, and and the way that they they handle the kids and the parents, is perfectly on target, and and I thought, really well done. Um, the changes at Pixar and Disney are interesting because the they're putting Pete Doctor, who of course has been with Pixar from the beginning, part of the Brain Trust, in charge. Lassiter is for real gone, uh, another Me Too casualty, and he should get credit for all the good things that he did, but he should not get credit, and he should be punished for uh, not behaving well with his female employees so that's the way it goes and then we have a woman Jennifer Lee taking over she created Frozen she's really talented taking over Disney uh,
1: and it seems like these are all people who are well liked and and trusted. so so. people should not panic about the post Lasseter era or anything like that Okay, so next week we'll have plenty more stuff to talk about. There there will almost certainly be some kind of updates related to the fall and award season because it's closer than we think, and um, we're approaching kind of the summer midpoint, so maybe we'll go over some of our favorite movies of the year. There's plenty to discuss. You should go see Damsel. I want to talk about that movie after you see it. It's really cool. You got it. Homework. (laughs) Okay. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.